Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Well, your life demonstrates your values. Every decision you make is based on what you believe will give you the greatest advantage or disadvantage at any moment in time uh, to what you value most. And your perception, decisions, and actions are filtered and decided upon based on those values. So if I look carefully at what your life demonstrates, it reveals it. And many people have, uh, you could say, delusions or fantasies about who they're going to be or who they want to be instead of actually get grounded and look at what their life demonstrates. You know, I ask people, I've asked thousands, millions of people, really, how many of you want to be financially independent? Of course, every hand goes up. And then I said, now, how many are? And all the hands go down most of the time. And I go, well, you know, what you actually think that you want to be financially independent, but the fact is your life is demonstrating that you're buying consumables that depreciate in value and you have a higher value on buying consumables for immediate gratification than you do for long-term asset accumulation. And as long as you have that immediate gratification for those things, that means you're really valuing that more than what you think you value and you really don't know what you're valuing. And so I had to dis discern and create uh, a way of looking at what the life was demonstrating, not what people were saying. How you did, how you did. That was the voice of Dr. Demartini. Now, before Dr. Demartini and I get into our conversation and before I talk to you about what we discuss, I want to just acknowledge you all. I want to thank you all for every single time you've listened to an episode, shared an article, or even just reached out. I really appreciate it. A lot of you have been asking me different ways that you can connect with me. And the best way is to reach out to me on my website, tyroxen.com. If you're wondering if I'm coming to your city to speak, just, you know, look up the events page there or feel free to email me about, you know, different ways you want to interact. I'm always looking for different ways to collaborate with you on helping you discover your voice, making sure you live to your highest values and ensuring that you're using your difference to make a difference. Very, very interested in making sure that you are the best version of yourself. So today's episode, as you heard, we're going to spend a significant portion of today's podcast discussing values. How do you live you know, to your highest values? How do you make sure that you're operating in the best way that you know you can? And how do you make sure that your days are prioritized according to what you value the most? You know, we talk about this as well as different ways to diversify your wealth, build your wealth, and make sure that your values are dictating your days. And that it's not something that you have to struggle with. It's not something that you have to force yourself to, to, to be motivated by. And it's not something that you have to feel you know, intimidated by Dr. Demartini is someone that has worked with some of the most well-known billionaires in the world and someone that has seen and understood what it's like to struggle in life. My goal is, as you listen to this episode, you're thinking about ways to structure your day, structure your year, 
and build an environment and a circle of influence that reflects who you are. Enjoy the episode. Welcome everybody to another episode of As Told by Nomads, and today's episode is with Dr. Demartini. Now, Dr. Demartini is a world-renowned specialist in human behavior, a researcher, author, and global educator. He has developed a series of solutions applicable across all markets, sectors, and age groups. His education curriculum ranges from corporate empowerment programs, financial empowerment strategies, self-development programs, relationship solutions, and social transformation programs. His teachings start at the core of the issue, addressing the human factor and range out to a multitude of powerful tools that have proven the test of time. He has studied over 30 thousand books across all the defined academic disciplines and has synthesized the wisdom of the ages which he shares on stage in over 100 countries his presentations whether keynotes seminars or workshops leave clients with insights into their behavior and keys to their empowerment we are in a new year and everybody always knows the cliche thing is to figure out how to be the best version of yourself but what i'm very interested in is how to create habits that last the test of time. So welcome to the show, Dr. Demartini. Well, thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, the pleasure is mine. And much like any guest I have, I'm always curious into the why behind their purpose, right? So your journey is pretty unique. It's, you, you know, you had uh, teenage homelessness. You were homeless when you were a teenager, and then you've become this inspirational speaker. But I'm curious if you could tell us more about the path. What happened? How did you get there? And what was the turning point? Well, I think there's there's a number of variables. I don't know how much time we have, but uh, if you want a one-minute version or a five-minute version. Five-minute version is fine. <laughs> All right. Um, when I was born, I had a arm and leg that was turned in that uh, I had to wear braces from one and a half to four years old. And I think that had an impact on me wanting to be free and wanting to be on the go and run and not be constrained, probably why I live a nomadic life today. When I was... Uh, Around six, I was told by my first grade teacher in front of my parents, I'm afraid your son's never going to be able to read. He won't be able to write. He won't be able to communicate. He doesn't look like he's going to go very far in life or amount to much because I had learning problems. I couldn't read and I couldn't pronounce words properly or spell a a form of dyslexia and uh, had to wear a dunce cap. I left school. The only, the only way I made it through elementary school is by asking questions, which I noted for today, uh, from the smartest kids to figure out what they learned. And then I would get enough from hearing it that allowed me to somehow pass. That worked till I was 12. My parents moved from Houston, Texas to Richmond, Texas, which is a country area that had a lower socioeconomic, didn't have a bunch of smart kids. And I didn't have anybody to kind of, you know, learn from. And so I ended up dropping out. So I left home at 13. So I was a street kid and uh, did odd jobs and, you know, whatever kids did in the 1960s. I then, um, surfing became my my, uh, interest. Texas wasn't the surf capital. So at 14, I hitchhiked out to California and down into Mexico to go surfing. And uh, my parents literally saw that I had something that I was interested in and gave me their blessings. And and uh, off I went. I, um, when I was 15, I moved to Hawaii and I wanted to ride big waves. And I, I did. I got to ride for like 40 foot waves, which is pretty big back those days. Today, I think they ride them at 100, but 30 was big then. Yeah, 40 is big. And uh, 
That's a and lot. I, I, uh, in fact, just a month ago on my 65th birthday, I went surfing on the North Shore and wrote big waves again. So I, that was a goal I had when I was 16 to come back at 65 and ride giant waves. So I did that. But anyway, I, um, I was surfing and I almost died. And in part of a recovery from that near-death experience, I guess you could call it, um, I was led to a health food store and then to a yoga class. And there at that yoga class, they had a special guest speaker named Paul C. Bragg. And Paul C. Bragg was a, an enthusiastic gentleman that was very inspired that helped open up a thousand health food stores across America to try to change the culture of eating and health and nutrition in America. And that night in one hour, that one man really got to me and said things that made me believe that maybe I could overcome my learning problems. Maybe I could learn how to read and someday possibly become intelligent. And it was that night that I had the dream to overcome my learning problems, learn how to read and, and become a teacher. And even though I love surfing, the void of not being very smart and couldn't read, because I didn't read till I was 18, um, was big. And I, that night, my life changed. And I studied with this man for three weeks and then left there and came back to Texas. And tried, I took a GED, a high school equivalency test, and guessed and somehow passed and started on a journey with the help of my mom, who literally made me memorize 30 words a day, spelling, proper pronunciation, until my vocabulary was enough to learn how to read. We went on a journey to learn how to read. And when I found out that I could do it slowly but surely, I had such a thirst to catch up with everybody, I just started devouring reading 18 to 20 hours a day. And I, I became a eventually a, you know, a leading student and a, I guess you could call it a scholar. And I, I guess I never stopped doing that. And I gradually attracted students around me because I was excelling eventually. And um, my student base grew from a local group to, you know, citywide to eventually state and a nation. And now I've been to 154 countries, so to speak. So I, I, um, I go to Istanbul today. And so I'm, um, you know, I'm doing what my, my dream is. My dream was to travel the world and research and share anything that could help live, help people live extraordinary lives. And that's what I've dedicated my life to for the last 47 years. And I've been pretty consistent on it, you know, 18, 20 hours a day since. Thank you so much for setting the table. And there's a reason I always do that, because it always unlocks uh, a lot of what the interview is going to be about. And one of the things that I want to go into is what you mentioned there. I, you know, While doing research on you, you said your voids help you with your values. Now, we live in a time where people don't necessarily know who they are whether it's because society has a construct for them, parents, or they haven't really been taught how to think for themselves. So someone listening to this podcast today is thinking, you know, I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what I want to do. I just know that I'm not happy right now. How do you reach that person and help that person figure out his, her, or their values, or even identify what their voids are? Well, your life demonstrates your values. Every decision you make is based on what you believe will give you the greatest advantage or disadvantage at any moment in time uh, to what you value most. And your perception, decisions, and actions are filtered and decided upon based on those values. So if I look carefully at what your life demonstrates, it reveals it. And many people have 
uh, you could say delusions or fantasies about who they're going to be or who they want to be instead of actually get grounded and look at what their life demonstrates. You know, I ask people, I've asked thousands, millions of people, really, how many of you want to be financially independent? Of course, every hand goes up. And then I said, now, how many are? And all the hands go down most of the time. And I go, well, you know, when you actually think that you want to be financially independent, but the fact is your life is demonstrating that you're buying consumables that depreciate in value and you have a higher value on buying consumables for immediate gratification than you do for long-term asset accumulation. And as long as you have that immediate gratification for those things, that means you're really valuing that more than what you think you value and you really don't know what you're valuing. And so I had to dis discern and create uh, a way of looking at what the life was demonstrating, not what people were saying. And so I create a value determination process, which is on my website, drdmartini.com. People can go on, it's free. And it takes about 30 minutes of their time. But what it does is it asks people, how do you fill your space? What is anything that's really, really, really valuable to you, you keep close to you? And anything that's not really, really valuable to you, you push away from you. So anything that's really valuable, you fill your space with. And if you look at what you're surrounding your space with, in my case, books, <laughs> as you can imagine, and um, my travel, images of travels and things. So your space reveals it. The second indicator or value determinant is how much the time. You make time, find time, spend time on things that are really valuable to you. And you don't want to make time and avoid time on things that don't. So I look at space and time. Then I look at what energizes you. Whatever is really, really highest on your value when you're doing it, it energizes you. And when you're not doing it or you try to do something that's low on your values, it drains you. So your energy reveals and reflects what you value. The next one is money. You're not going to want to spend money on things that you devalue. You're only going to want to spend money on things that do. So if you look at how you disperse and, and spend all your money, it's going to reveal what's important to you. You know, in my case, my mine is mainly investments, and it, it was in my 20s and 30s, I was buying 40 to 70 books a week on average, sometimes up to 100 books a week, and I was spending my money on what I valued. Today, it's mainly investments, and it's my Demartini Prize and the things that it's important to me. But you spend your money according to what you value. The fifth value determinant is where you most organized and ordered in your life. Things that are really valuable to you, you organize, and things that aren't, you don't get around to organizing. And the sixth one is... What is it you're spontaneously disciplined to do that nobody ever has to remind you to do? You just spontaneously do it. You're focused on it and you show evidence that you're focused on it and stay focused on it, not waver from it. The next one is uh, number seven is what is it you think about? And number eight is what do you visualize? And number nine is what do you talk to yourself about, about how you would love your life to be that shows evidence coming true? Not fantasies you talk about that aren't showing evidence, but ones that are actually showing evidence. You know, I could go around and say that, you know, I, I, if I look at my life, I can see that I'm dedicated to researching and teaching. My life shows evidence of it. There's evidence every single day of that. But if I said that I want to be an international sex symbol, my life shows no evidence of that. <laughs> I'm joking about that one. Because I, anything that has no evidence, there's obviously not really valuable to you. The next one is what do you converse with other people about most? That, uh, that you know, that you, you can't wait to bring the conversation to. And if they talk about something, you'll lead the conversation back to what you value. People come up to you and said, how's your business or how's your health or how's your workout or how's your golf or how's your wealth building? You know, these kind of things. Or how's your relationship? They'll talk about what they value. And the next one is what inspires them and what brings tears of inspiration to their eyes? Because it, it's, it's either people that are doing something extraordinary that reminds them of what they want to do or it's when they're getting to do what's really valuable to them, they'll bring an inspiration out of them. 
And then the next one is what is it that they have as goals that have been perseverant and dedicated to doing and are making progress on it, showing evidence that they're coming true, that have been consistent, long-term goals. And the last one is what do you love studying about, reading about, learning about, listening to about most, and that you spontaneously love to read that in the newspaper or go to the bookstore and get that or go online and look and read uh, things online or watch videos online about it. If you look carefully, those 13 value determinants and you answer three questions to each one, it'll, in a summary, if you look at what answers repeat most to second most to third most, it will reveal what your life is demonstrating what's really valuable to you. Once you identify that, it's time to prioritize your daily actions to fulfill what's valuable most in a way that serves the greatest number of people so you can earn an income to delegate all the rest of it away. So there's an element of intentionality here uh, and reflection. I think you're spontaneously intentional on what's valuable most. That's Uh just automatic. The ancient Greeks, even Aristotle, said that the highest value was called the telos. The telos was the chief aim, as Napoleon Hill called it, or the primary uh, objective, as Tullison called it, or the end in mind. And he said that the study of that is the most significant thing an individual could study because and he called that study teleology, which is the study of meaning and purpose, because whatever's highest on a person's values, an individual's values, is what their purpose is directed. That's what their most meaningful, most inspiring, most purposeful, most fulfilling actions they can take. And sticking to that is what raises self-worth and expands space and time horizons and gives permission to do something that's legacy oriented. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I would love that. I think it's intentionality, reflection, and then consistency. Because, I, you know, one of the things that happens, one of the things that happens during this time of the year is everyone gets excited. You know, it's a new decade, it's a new year, and people feel energized by the external motivations or external people um, basically saying the same thing. But there comes a point in your life during the year, inevitably, after three weeks, a month, maybe six months for some people, where you have to find that internal drive. And if you haven't spent the time being reflective, it has a very sand-like foundation where it just falters due to the weather. And so if you haven't really created this habit that keeps you consistent, then your self-development strategies start to wane and you start to become more frustrated with yourself and you lose your sense of self-worth. Well, many people, many people, you know, they overeat during the holidays, they overspend in the holidays, so they automatically feel a void there, temporary transient void. And then what they do is they say, okay, I'm going to, you know, work out now and I'm going to save money. And then three weeks later, once they get back in their normal routine, that void's gone and then it peters out. I'm not interested in, you know, New Year's resolutions to me are a waste of time. What matters is sitting down and looking honestly at what your life is demonstrating and structuring goals that are congruent with what's valuable most. So you'll increase the probability of achieving things and build your self-worth and build momentum to greatness. You're not going to do it by setting up on flippant fantasies that are transient, that aren't really, really important to you. And anytime you do that, you're designed to beat yourself up to let you know that this is off track for who you are. You know, a lot of people self-depreciate, not because there's something wrong with them, but because they're pursuing something that's not truly important to them. Yeah, that's true. It's not serving them. Okay. Well, another thing that's important to people is wealth. Okay. Um, And wealth today, in today's world, is one that is... I feel undertaught in schools. You know, we don't really talk about financial, you know, development, financial empowerment strategies. But as far as 
today's time and the the time post World War II and and where we are today, I know that there are multiple ways to diversify income, but I don't know that there are great teachers that show people, especially in my generation and younger, how to do so in a way that's smart. So I'm curious to to hear from you what you think are great financial investment strategies and things to be thinking about, especially in your 20s and 30s. Well, the first thing is to identify what you value most. Know that the hierarchy of your values will dictate your financial destiny. Mm. Tell me what your values are and I'll tell you how you're going to spend your money. I've been doing this 41 years. I'm absolutely certain there's not even an ounce of question left in my mind about this. You tell me what your values are and I'll show you how you're going to spend your money. If you value Jimmy Choo shoes more than you do buying assets of stocks or maybe, you know, real estate, uh, you know, leasing um, properties or whatever, then you're not going to have money work for you. You're going to be spending money on other people's brands that make you temporarily feel high and then end up, you know, causing you depression. If you don't have a value in wealth building, it's not going to happen. You have to finally get grounded and get real about it. I mean, I've helped a million people easily do this. And, I, and I'm certain that if a person does not value wealth building, it's not going to happen. You have to, if you want to meet a gratification and want to buy little things that go down in value, because people that really value money buy things that go up in value and appreciate in value. And people that don't have a value of money buy things that depreciate in value. And one's an asset, one's a liability kind of thing. So the first thing to do is get grounded in where you are and then realize if you don't have a value on wealth building, unless you shift that, it's going to continue to determine how you spend your money. And so there are a number, I have a thing called the six steps to wealth, which are six different things that I found in wealthy centimillionaires or billionaires consistent at what them, what they did. And if a person doesn't have a value on Building a business that serves ever greater numbers of people and service oriented and wanting to work and serve people that have a source of income. If they don't have a desire to manage the business where it's profitable and efficient, where it's making good profits, if they're not saving an ever progressive portion of those profits, if they're not investing in ever greater degrees of leverage, they're not accumulating it without eroding it by buying unnecessary low priority things, and they're not having a cause that drives them to want to accumulate a fortune where it's eventually working so well for them that they don't have to work. They're doing it because they love to. The probability of being financially independent is very low. Mm. So they you, said, you said six steps. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt. You said six steps. I mean, you were going through them quickly. You started with value. Is that correct? Well, the first thing is identifying what you value most and look at where you are. Because mm. I can guarantee I know people who work for 20, 30, 40 years and have nothing saved, nothing invested. And I know people that have been in business for a year and have the different set of values and already saving money and on their way to financial independence. So it, it's the way they spend their money and how what they buy with it. If they're buying assets, they're going to get wealthier. If they're buying liabilities, they're not. So you, they have to ground themselves, not live in la-la land and fantasy land and think that somehow miraculous it's going to happen. Their values are going to dictate that. And now if they have a value system that's not building wealth, then there's going to have to be a shift in there if they want to make that happen. And they, they, that's what I call the six steps to wealth. And if you want me to go through those again? Yes, please. That, that would be great. Okay. Well, I'll use uh, Bill Gates as an example. And I'll, I'll uh, because I've gone through probably 70 or 80 billionaires. I met many of them. I live with some of them. And the process of doing it is that if they don't have some sort of a desire to serve ever greater numbers of people, vast numbers of people, then why do they expect to have wealth if they don't have a service? Money comes from serving people filling the needs of others in such a valuable way, more effectively and efficiently than others that people want to buy that and, and, and give you money for it. 
So if you don't have a yearning to want to serve people and have a yearning to go and and uh, make a difference and contribute directly or indirectly with a product, service, or idea that people want, there's no source of income. You're not going to get financially independent just working for somebody else in a part-time job. You have to care enough about, you know, I always say if you're poor, it's because you're not caring about humanity enough to go out and serve people. If people have a work ethic and a service ethic or the people are going to get ahead. Once they have that drive and they found that niche that they want to go and serve people that truly meets their needs, and it's not a fantasy projected onto society's you know, needs, but it really meets the needs. So there's a demand and you are willing to go and get the supply. There's a source of income and there's a vast income potential sitting there for that. The second step is then managing that business more effectively and efficiently to maximize profits so the people that work in that business have a greater life because you're contributing to their life in addition to contributing to the customer's life. And both of those need to be there because if people aren't inspired at work, they're not going to have the greatest service for customers. So you have to be able to go in there and make it efficient and effective using Parkinson's law and Ricardo's law and other laws of economics that make it efficient. And if somebody's got to pulse that, manage it, work on the business, not just in the business to do that. And if they do that, then they deserve to have a vast fortune because they're, they're helping job opportunities, helping the economy, uh, paying taxes, contributing to society, and giving job opportunities, and also serving customers efficiently. And that's what people want. That's why they want to buy from them. The third one is that they save an ever-progressive portion of the profits. It's interesting that many people are in a hurry to get rich quick, and they want to speculate and blow their money on foolish uh, fantasies of the amygdala, instead of actually being patiently and methodically and earn the right to risk through savings first, then investing, and then speculating. So, I mean, Bill Gates, and, and when he had his wealth, he had $27 billion in liquid cash, and Buffett's got over $100 billion in liquid cash, and he's not in any hurry to get speculating. He's interested in making sure he puts money where it serves the greatest number of people. And once you save an ever-progressive portion of the profits by increasing the ratio of savings to income over and over again, which drives efficiency, then you want to basically invest in ever greater degrees of leverage. And that's either stair-stepping through classes of investments periodically, or making sure that you go out and leverage it through uh, using other people's money and investors to leverage through stock uh, shares floating. But somehow you want to leverage it so it's now catapulting its speed in which it can serve greater numbers of people. But you can't lose the drive to serve. You can't lose the drive of efficiency. The next one is, is a desire to accumulate. If you don't have a desire to accumulate, you'll plateau at, at your comfort zone and then start buying junk and clutter and uh, going to get debaucherous in your behaviors. You need a cause, which is number six, a cause, uh, ever greater cause. Because as you accumulate money, the, the additional dollar becomes less in value. And so what happens, you have to have a cause that grows greater than the speed of the decline of a value of a dollar as you accumulate it. And so if you don't have a cause greater than yourself that leaves a legacy, you probably won't drive yourself to vast fortune. But Bill Gates built a business to serve great numbers of people. He and Paul Allen made it efficient. They then saved a vast fortune. They kept a whole year's worth of liquid capital in savings. They then invested in ancillary com companies, kind of like Carnegie did. They then accumulated a vast fortune, one of the biggest fortunes. And then they end up creating the Bill Gates Foundation, Linda Gates Foundation, trying to solve big, great problems in the world, as the Netflix program has just recently demonstrated. And uh, he's, he's a classical example of the things that have been known to prove to get the, the what I call fortunes in life. And there's no reason why any human being out there can't do those six things. Yeah. No. And the reason why I, I had you go through that again is because, like I was saying, it really isn't taught in schools, you know. And one of my frustrations, I, I'm 
um, someone that loves travel as well, is when I go across the world, across the states. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here across different parts of cultures, when kids are taught the essential lessons of life, we don't stress the importance of financial independence. And what that does is um, it doesn't give a lot of kids the mindset to accumulate wealth. You know, we sort of show people, hey, Black Friday, this shoes out there, this is the coolest things. And we train people consciously or subconsciously to have this desire for short term things and not think big picture. Well, you got to realize that in the turn of the last century, about a century ago, the Rockefellers and them, they, they, they got together and they created an educational organization that, that basically wanted to create drones for industry. So they had the leaders of industry and they needed workers. So they created a worker bee for colony. So the educational system was never designed for the leaders. It was always designed for the followers. You know, they, they teach you how to basically, you know, borrow money from a bank, get in debt with a mortgage, get in fractional reserve systems, go get credit cards that pay ridiculous fees pay minimum amount so you maximize the bank's return so you can stay an indentured slave your whole life. That's not where the power is. You're not going to do that in little high schools or whatever because that's for the, the drones. It's for the people who care enough to want to go and serve people and want to step out and get a full education, entrepreneurial education that make the, the fortunes in the world. So you, that's, you're right. The education is not where it's going to be. you got to get outside education like we're doing right now on this, on this uh, podcast. It's those educations <laughs> that make a difference. And, uh, I, you know, I, I've seen formal education. I've seen what, what happens there. And it's it's there to make you fit in and conform instead of stand out and do something enormous. You do something conformist. Yeah. Well, one of the one of the best ways to stand out is to be a leader. Right. And you have thoughts on the anatomy of an effective leader. Could you share? Well, a leader is somebody that is living congruently by their own values and by exemplification. They're demonstrating what it is to be inspired for a cause that serves greater numbers of people. And when they do, that cause has a charismatic spillover effect on people around them because yearning, the yearning of every human being is to live authentically like that. So they automatically magnetize people to be around them because they're living the way people really want to live authentically and to be inspired by their life. So anybody that's willing to do that is automatically going to magnetize people and opportunities in the direction of their pursuit, their highest value. So people who are living congruently by the highest values are the ones that lead. Leader, I've been teaching leadership for many decades, and leadership is an expression of congruency between what you value most and what your intentions and actions are most. If your perception, decisions, or actions are congruent with what you value most, you're on your way to being a leader. And leadership is simply that authenticity. 
And a person now, you know, I ask people, what, what do you want to lead? And if they don't know in the top of their mind where they're going and who they're going and what they're doing on it, they don't have it. But a person that leads already knows and is already in motion on it. And you know, that's, that's the difference. But leadership is congruency. If you don't fill your day with high-priority actions that inspire you on a daily basis, your day is designed to fill up with low-priority distractions that don't. So you're the one that has to take command because otherwise the world on the outside is going to dictate what goes on on the inside instead of the, the calling from within. And that leadership is innate the second you congruently uh, live by their highest values. You need to fill your day with high-priority actions that inspire you. That's it. You know, you know I, I learned from Mary Kay, who was a leader in the in a female movement for, you know, cosmetics. I spoke to her group about 34 years ago and had about 4,500 women I was speaking to. And then I met with her privately and I asked her what advice could she give to a young man traveling the world speaking. And she said, really simple, write down the highest priority action you can do each day that will help you fulfill what's most meaningful to you that inspires you and do that one priority thing and do it masterfully and do that. And when you're done, then ask yourself now, what is the next highest priority action I can be doing that can help me fulfill that? And as long as you're living by that one thing, that highest priority thing, uh, you're going to build momentum and you'll be unstoppable. But the key is, is that one thing and not scattering yourself at the in the four winds by inculcating other people's expectations and opportunist projections on top of you. You got to give yourself permission to live from within. Otherwise, you're going to be just distracted from without. That's right. So, you just have to yeah rank your highest priority actions and live co- um, you know live in accordance to them that's how you build momentum and that's the secret to anyone who has been an effective leader across any culture and it really is it does take a change in your habit though you know um, it doesn't it you know I, I think developing habits are key if you want to be a leader because a lot of times based on what you're saying and based on my observation you would end up being the only one seeing something that others aren't seeing. You know, people might doubt you. People might say well, you're wasting your time. You're a party pooper. You're not, you know, you're always too focused on things that are not immediate. And you have to be able to trust your vision and your um, and your highest values for you to then say, I'm going to stick this out because I know where I could be if I stay consistent at this. And yeah, the, the thing is, is when it's when it's your highest values, you spontaneously do it. You don't analyze it. It's just, ah. a, if you're sitting there having to think, well, is it, you know, I need to, I, if it's a willpower, it isn't it. If you need to be reminded, you need to be motivated, you need to be uh, stimulated, or you need to use gimmicks, you haven't found the calling. You haven't found the thing that you're inspired by. Interesting. Who's had to motivate me to research and teach the last 47 years? I don't need motivation. Motivation is a symptom, never a solution for humanity. Motivation is an extrinsic, uh, you know, persuasion and rhetorical persuasion from the external world of punishment and reward. That's an animal behavior. An inspired state is something that doesn't need motivation. It's something that's driven from within. And if you haven't found that, then it's not, you're still not congruent yet. Because once you do, you don't need to be reminded. You don't need gimmicks. You don't need to go, oh, I need to have willpower. It's spontaneous. It's what you're here to do. You feel it. You know it. You don't need to be reminded. That's that's the distinction. And when I'm working with people in my programs, I'm I don't stop until we get that. Once we huh. get that, there, they there's there's a shift in their trajectory. Okay, well, then I have this question to ask, Dr. Demartini. So think about fitness, right? You know, let's say you you go to a doctor, not you, the proverbial you here, and someone diagnoses you with um, diabetes or something that's health-related. You know at that point that you need to change your diet, 
and change your activity level. At that point, in order to develop that habit, I mean, do you not need motivation? I mean, because that maybe that's not the the person's highest value because it's it's not the way they live their life. When, but when you're living by your highest values, you don't end up with diabetes. Uh, okay, I see what you said. Diabetes, diabetes is a self-righteous projection, a feeling of being challenged and a bitterness inside. It's a persona that we wear. You can't tell a diabetic what to do. You can tell a hypoglycemic what to do, but the blood sugar is up because their sympathetic is up and they're, they feel challenged and they feel re resentful to their system. They're not living in their highest values or they wouldn't have these reactions. Their physiology wouldn't respond that way. I mean, I've worked with thousands of cases of this and over the years as a doc, and I'm, I'm absolutely certain that there's a psychology behind these things. And so what happens okay. is people go around and they want to blame things on the outside. But if you're eating sugar, you're, you're using immediate gratification. No one in their right mind would be sitting and putting sugar in their body. Pardon me for just being blunt about it. That's, no, that's no. one of the most toxic elements on the planet, most addictive compounds on the planet. Anybody that's adding sugar to their diet is setting themselves up for problems. When you're inspired by your life, you're living not to eat, you're eating to live. You know, if you think about it, if you've got a major function coming up in the next four days, it's a major presentation you're about to do. You're not going to be sitting there drinking, overeating and everything else in preparation for it. You're going to be prepared for something that's deeply meaningful. If your life is not filled with meaning and it's not on priority, you tend to want to go and live to eat instead of eat to live. You tend to want to overdo it. You'll be in your amygdala. You'll be in addictive behaviors. You want immediate gratification. You'll be in consumption orientation instead of contribution orientation. No, I mean, I love bluntness. I, I guess what I'm getting at here is, and I understand your, your, your point there is, there is inevitable stress and there are challenges. And when you're, deal, when you're dealt certain hands, whether it's by your family or by, by circumstances, and people don't know better, it's interesting to find out how to either get to that motivation or how to navigate a life of, uh, of stress and challenge. Some people could well, have been- Hold on, let me back up. I'm, pardon me for confronting this again. Uh, okay, there's only two forms of stress on this planet. Yes. The perception of loss of that which you seek and the perception mm -hmm. of gain of that which you're trying to avoid. Okay, okay. can you, can you say that again? I want, I want to write that there down. There are only two stresses that I've narrowed down. I've been studying this a long time. There's only two stresses that people face. The perception of loss of that which they seek and the perception of gain of that which they're trying to avoid. Take uh, any stress. You pick a stress right now in your life. Any uh, stress. Yeah, my stress. Uh, I, I don't really. Okay, let me just make up something. Financial stress. Uh, okay, so the perception of loss of that which you seek is money. And okay. the perception of that which you want to avoid is bills. So if you get okay. bills more than money, you got stress, distress. The same thing in relationship. If you seek somebody and you're in fact with them, you fear their loss. If you resent them, you fear their gain. Distress, distress is nothing more than the perception of loss of that which you seek, those things that support your highest values, and those things that challenge your highest values that you're trying to avoid those coming near you. Those are what are called distress. It's called prey, loss of prey, starvation, and the gain of predator, being eaten. Your brain and your amygdala responds to those two things, and that is all what stress is. And the reason why we're having distress is a sign that we're not living by our highest values because the moment we're living by our highest values, we have the most objective state. And objectivity means neutral-minded. When we're completely neutral and we're not infatuated or resentful to things, we don't fear the loss or the fear of the gain. 
But when we're neutral, we can be resilient, adaptable, and have used stress and wellness factors. And our immune system responds and our blood sugar normalizes. Our physiology is letting us know when we're living congruently and when we're not. And so it's not, we're never distressed by outside circumstances. We're distressed by our incompetency to be able to see the balance in those circumstances and see how they serve in the long run our mission. So the wisest question we can ever ask is no matter what's happening in our life, how is it helping us fulfill our mission? If we can do that, we can realize that it's not the outside world that dictates our destiny. It's our perception, decisions, and actions of it. It's our That's why William James said the, the greatest discovery of my generation is that human beings can alter their lives by altering their perceptions and attitudes of mind. Yeah. No, that's well said. It's uh, And a lot of things are often our projections. We're often living our projections instead of our missions. Huh. We're, we're projecting, if we expect somebody to live in our values or we expect to live in other people's values, we're automatically going to be angry at them or angry at ourselves. And we're, we're because we're not here to be in, you know, when you're, as Albert Einstein said, a cat trying to expect to be like a fish swimming is going to beat itself up. And a fish expecting to climb like a tree is going to beat itself up. But when you finally honor who you are and your identity revolves around your highest values and live congruently that way, you honor yourself, you're grateful for yourself, you wake up your leader, you go out and do amazing things. You don't need motivation. Motivations for people that haven't found their, their own calling in life. Yeah. It all comes down to what you've been saying throughout the conversation is that identifying your values is so key because if you don't know what your highest values are, you're not going to know how to invest wisely, how to grow, how to be healthy, and basically how to learn. That, that, that's why I wrote the book, The Values Factor, to try to wake people up to that realization. And what's amazing is when people finally get those principles and they start applying it, they go, you know, where have this, where's this been all my life? Yeah. <laughs> they start to build momentum. Yeah. You know, people, people that may not like good old Donald Trump, you know, I, 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 I'm sure he's done crazy stuff. But one thing he did teach me, because I used to live right beneath him in Trump Tower, and, and Donald did teach me something. He said, build momentum. And you're not going to build momentum by starting, stopping, and starting, and stopping, and have fleeting attitudes and fleeting goals. It's by not stopping until you get what you're set out for. And you won't do that unless you're congruent. Hmm. Interesting. Huh. Sorry, I'm just, I'm just reflecting here. Because even when you think about good leaders or bad leaders, you know, what is the dictator? I grew up with two dictators. So this is something that I, I initially um, – started to observe the ability to galvanize people is based on the values that they've created. This person is the reason for all your um, problems. I'm the one that's going to get there. And, and that ability for someone to consistently get people to, uh, I guess, when, when you said to sh heighten their perception of loss or that which they seek, when someone, uh, uh, this is an, an ineffective leader or an effective leader, if you can highlight people's stresses and present yourself as the solution to those stresses, you often are an effective leader, whether that's good or bad. And and that's what I'm, I'm starting to notice more and more as I grow older. Well, leaders solve problems and people perceive problems based on what their their needs are. And so if you can solve the problems, you're, you're automatically become the person that they're going to listen because you're helping them solve their problems. That's where money comes. Money comes from solving people's problems. If you don't care about other people, you're not going to solve their problems. You're not going to have any wealth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, huh. I mean, this is fascinating. You know, if, you your, if you don't fill your day with problems that inspire you, your day is going to fill up with problems that don't. 
and you're a, you're a victim of your own delusions, not a victim of anything on the outside. You've chosen not to go after and pursue solving problems that serve great, great numbers of people and dedicated your life to doing that. If you do, the problems on the outside that most people do aren't there. You're solving problems that you're intending instead of solving problems you're trying to avoid. <laughs> if you don't fill your day with problems that inspire you, your day will be filled with problems that don't uh, inspire you. Don't inspire you. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Uh, this is this is amazing. I, I we're getting ready to wrap up here, but I, I can't, you know, just, uh, you know, end the interview without asking you some, some more questions here. And one of these things, one of these problems that manifest themselves in the workplace or in general is um, conflict. And this happens in today's world where people, once again, have competing values. But also, if you're a leader and you're coming across people that do things differently, what have you observed to be the best way to resolve conflict in a way to be a savvy business leader? Conflict is a result of some one self-righteous person thinking their values is what the universe needs, imposing and projecting that onto another individual with a different set of values. And then that individual being challenged, which then makes them self-righteous, standing up and then projecting their values back. And two people having a loggerheads, you know, banging their heads against the wall, trying to get the other person to live in their values. You got to ask a new question if you're in a relationship with any human being, whether it be, you know, two countries, because I'm involved in mediation of leadership stuff like that sometimes, Israel and Palestine recently. So what happens is you got to ask the question, what exactly are the highest values of the people we're working with? Donald, listen carefully, because you need to be asking yourself, what's the values of the Iranians? I've been in Iran and I talked to the president and the government there, and I'm absolutely certain they have a different set of values. And if you think yours is right and talking and talking down to them, you're going to get retaliation. But if you ask how specifically are your value, what are those values and how specifically are you living according to your values, helping me fulfill mine? And how specifically is my values helping you fulfill yours? If you can't answer that about 60 times, there's no information to use and to create dialogue with. And you'll end up with two alternating monologues. You'll speak, they won't listen. They'll speak, you won't listen because you don't see how what they're saying serves you. And then you're self-righteously challenged by it. And you go into righteousness and project downward on them and think they need to change their values. No, Everybody wants to be loved and appreciate who they are, not who you want to make them. And you got to learn that whatever their values are, their identity revolves around their highest values. And knowing what they are is the first step if you want to communicate and dissolve these conflict uh, resolutions, you might say. You got to find out what they value most. You got to find out how that those values serve you. When you can respect them and see how they serve you, you will talk to them differently. And then if you can communicate what you value in terms of what they do, like a sales process, they're going to be receptive to what you have to say. But you can't try to fix people. It doesn't work. Yeah, no, that's true. It doesn't work in personal relationships, in international relationships, uh, as well as business relationships. It's it's yeah. really Donald you know, Donald is playing self-righteous and uh the people from Iran are playing self-righteous. They're both escalating it. They're both going to get humbled by it. You know, it's just uh, it, it's 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 interesting that uh, the people that are actually I, I've been to Tehran and I've, I've met with the people and there's some lovely people there. And there's also some people that are radical and extremist. And the extremists usually try to oppose the other extremists because they're very rigid and black and white thinking and narrow minded. And they end up fighting with other narrow minded people that have opposite values. And the world has opposite values all over the world. That's the law of heuristic escalation has proved that. So what happens if you don't know how to communicate and you don't allow yourself to get out of a narrow mindedness and broaden your mind to see that everybody serves a purpose on the planet, 
then you're going to end up loggerheading with people and having conflict to teach you the lesson, to humble you and eventually break you down to where you finally appreciate other people. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I, I'm not, I mean, I'm with you on that. I, I think uh, nuance has to be applied. I think we forget that, you know, everybody has a different way of seeing the world. And sometimes that self-righteousness, you know, and that sense of pride and ego definitely overrides our humility. And we forget how we got here. And yeah, they're, they're what's equally as... Your, your, your physiology, you have a what they call a sympathetic side of the autonomic nervous system, which is for fight or flight. You've got a parasympathetic side for which is rest and digest. You've got a catabolic and anabolic, oxidative and reductive. You know, you, you, you have pairs of opposites in your physiology in order to maintain homeostasis and metabolic equilibrium. And society has the same thing. Montaigne talked about this. Aristotle talked about this. Nietzsche talked about it. You can go through Leibniz talked about it all the way through history. You'll see that there's been pairs of opposites of society's belief system, pro-life, anti-life, you know, and those pairs of opposites are necessary to cause transformation for evolution. You, you can't have build without destroy and destroy without build. You need creative destruction in order to have evolution. And so that is a normal process. And the individual who can transcend that, the true leaders can handle paradoxes of opposite values and see the bigger picture and see how they both serve. And right now we've got two leaders that can't see how the other person's, the other individual's values are serving. And so we're at loggerheads. But the second we yeah. can see and have a transcendent view, a transcendent mind, we can yeah. see that both have a purpose and there's a bigger purpose behind it. And hopefully we mature enough to see that. Yeah, that's what uh, the the late great Nelson Mandela did, um, and especially when he came out of jail. And it's one of the reasons that I admire him: the ability to see the big picture, a bigger picture, especially after you've had your values and there there have been competing values. How do you then see the bigger picture in order to bring a group of people that have not agreed with each other for the longest time exactly. uh, to see the table? Yeah, yeah um, I worked with Winnie Mandela and now his granddaughter, so we work together on projects. And they they understand uh, how important that is, but we get our buttons pushed sometime if we get if we get self righteous and think that our values are the only ones. We run into a, a self righteous mode. We narrow our mind. We go into our amygdala, and then we retaliate like an animal instead of actually being a human. Yeah, no, and um, I, I know you you have to head up to Istanbul here, so just have one quick question here before I ask you the final question. You, what do you, what are your concept? Uh, what sorry, what are your thoughts on the idea of faking it till you make it? I, I have a feeling. Uh, what you you're going to say? That, you know what's coming out of that? Waste of <laughs> time. You don't need to I think you're going to say it's a waste of time based on everything you said. But yeah. I just wanted to ask you because people say it a lot. Well, you know what? If you have to fake it to make it, you're off track. <laughs> you don't need. To I, the, you know, the, what you need to do is start with what you know and let what you know grow. Yeah. Not start with people. what you know. You know, when I was 17 years old, I was you know a long-haired hippie surfer kid that was living in a tent. Okay. I almost died and I had no education, never read a book in my life. And I sat there and I started with what I knew. I knew I wanted to travel the world. I wrote that down. I knew I wanted to overcome my learning problems. I knew I wanted to learn how to read. I wrote that down. I started with what I was certain about. I didn't waver and wonder about uh, fantasies. I just started with what was certain. And then I asked, what is the highest priority? This is what the man taught me then what is the most important thing I could be doing to accelerate the accomplishment of that right now? Stop and reflect and use your higher brain centers instead of just reacting to life. And what is the highest priority thing? And that was 
you learn how to read, boy. That was what I, I realized. So I had said, all right, I'm going to learn how to uh, properly spell a word, pronounce a letter. And I worked methodically just like a kindergarten kid to learn how to read and develop it because I realized that if I stand on the shoulders of giants, I can go places. That's true. So it was, a, it was not a fantasy system. It was a very methodical, specific actions that are congruent, that are clear. And when you do that, you're going to build momentum. You're going to get things done. But if you set up fantasies and have, you know, uh, ideologies that are not necessarily grounded, you're going to set yourself up for self-depreciation. So you don't need to fake it. You're just going to be you. And what's you is an expression of what you value most. And if you do that and ask, how can I do? There's seven questions you want to ask. What is it I would absolutely love to do in life? Number two is what is it? How can I get handsomely and beautifully paid to do it? So my vocation and vacation are the same. What are the highest priority actions I can do today to move me one step closer to the realization of that? What obstacles might I run into and how do I solve them in advance? How did it, whatever I do, what, what worked and what didn't work today and how whatever I did today, how did, it, how did it get me closer to it? And then how did, no matter what happened today, how is it helping me want to get one step closer? If you can do that, there's nothing going to stop you from doing something extraordinary. Well, in order for people to become more unstoppable, sir, where can they understand your work? Where can they buy your work? Where can they engage with you? Where can they keep up with your travels? Where can the, they? The, the easiest play to, to get a hold of where I am is just simply go on my website, drdmartini.com. On there is just a, a plethora of educational experiences, thousands of radio, television, newspapers, magazines, podcasts, YouTubes. It's an educational experience. And uh, they can go on there and there's events and there's products and there's programs and there's things I do all over the world. So I'm yeah. in, I go to Istanbul today and then I'm, I'll be in Miami in a few days and I'm off to Tokyo and then I go to Australia and I, I'm constantly on the go uh, sharing and researching and doing what I do. If they want to get in touch with me, just drdmartini.com. Yeah, I, I I think you need to keep more busy, I, busier rather. I mean, I don't I don't know. It doesn't sound like you have a lot of your plate, <laughs> but um, that's a, that's that's a lot. That's incredible. Uh, I I wrap up all my interviews with this question. My mission statement is use your difference to make a difference. So how do you use your difference to make a difference, Doctor Demartini? Well, my difference is you know your your uniqueness is an expression of what you value most. As Ricardo said in his uh, competitive advantage theories, every country has a resource that gives it competitive advantage. And the greatest resource that each individual has is the expression of what they value most, because that's where they're most spontaneous and, and literally most powerful in their mind and thinking. If a person will stick to the highest values like that, they'll have the competitive advantage and they'll make the biggest difference. You can't make a difference subordinating to other people and fitting in. You're going to make a difference by standing out, being unique. And that is the factor, your hierarchy of values. So start there and you will make a difference that makes the difference. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a true pleasure. It's been a great way to uh, head into the afternoon. So I'm really, really inspired. I'm ready and I'm pumped. And I know that the leaders and the listeners as well uh, would be as well. So thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, wish thank you a you. safe trip to Istanbul. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to share with the people out there. Thank you. The pleasure is mine. And ladies, gentlemen, and gender non-binary individuals, till next time, use a difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.